thank you. It is, uh, it is genuinely a pleasure and an honor to be with you here this morning and to be able to share with you from, from God's word. And as we begin to think a little bit about Islam and, uh, and the world and the place that we are in it, as we think about 1.6 billion Muslims who are, are facing an eternity separated from Jesus Christ and the part that we get to play in sharing the gospel with them. Indeed, it's a pleasure to, to be with you. I bring you greetings from Louisville, Kentucky, where it is normally cloudy and rainy, much like it is here in Southern in California. Um, I was surprised to wake up this morning and see clouds and then drizzle and rain. I thought I got off an airplane in sunny California, only to realize that I was actually still in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm concerned about that, I'd just like to say. Um, actually, we love being here. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It reminds us of, of when we lived both in southern Spain and in, in North Africa. The, the trees and the mountains, they are exactly the same. If you, if you could just take your campus and transplant it in North Africa, um, southern Spain, you would fit in perfectly. Lots of sunshine, um, lots of beauty, lots of desert. I, I absolutely love it. Um, my wife and I were just... Uh, we were just relishing in, uh, in being here yesterday. We, we arrived yesterday afternoon, and uh, we were able to, to get down to the beach, um, which was a big deal for us, one of our favorite places, one of those places you don't get to when you live in Louisville, Kentucky, um, and, uh, and just enjoy the, the gift that God has given us in, in the beauty of, of nature. I bring you greetings this morning from Dr. Dan DeWitt, the dean at Boyce College, and, Doug, and Dr. Al Moeller, the president of both Boyce College and Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I bring you greetings from both schools. This is a beloved school, a beloved institution for us as well. And we are thankful for your gospel impact and the things that you are doing here and the things that you are doing in the world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and, uh, and we'll get started this morning. Father, we are indeed grateful for the privilege of being in this place. It is not by accident that we're here. You have, you have called us, you have brought us here, and God, now you want to move in us. I pray this morning, Father, that you would speak through us, that you would change our hearts, change our minds, change our attitudes. God, that you would be in whom we boast, not in ourselves, not, not in the things that we have done, but in you. You are the one in, in whom we boast. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name, amen. As Lisa said, my wife and I had the privilege of serving overseas for, for 18 plus years, um, working almost entirely that time with Muslims. And then when we moved back to the United States, we moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and have been able to continue that that ministry as we work with refugees from um, both Iraq and, and now from Syria and uh, have the privilege of, of loving them and, and sharing truth and gospel and light in, in their lives. And one of the things that, that you do as you share with a Muslim is you ask the question, well, what is the difference between you and me? What is the difference between a Muslim and a Christian? When we lived overseas, because of a lot of the, the relief and development work that we would do, I would have Muslims come up to me and say, John, you are the best Muslim that I know. And I would think, well, that's kind of a strange thing to say. Um, I'll take it as a compliment, though. 
Um, they would say, you're the best Muslim I know because I was one who was submitted to God. I was one who had faith. I was one who experienced peace. We think about the word salam in, in Arabic, the term peace, and, and, and they knew that I had peace with God. They could, they could see that in our lives. They could see that in my life. They could see that in my wife's life and in the lives of our family and, and, and our friends, and they noticed that it was different. They, they noticed that we had something in our lives and, and we would talk about Islam, and, and we would ask the question, well, what makes us different? Are we not all dedicated to God? Are we not all submitted, and, and do we not all serve the, the creator? Most of my friends would say, John, really, we believe the same things. You follow your path, and I'll follow my path, and in the end, we'll converge, and we'll get to God together. And, and I would say, well, I can follow my path, and indeed, I will find God, but I'm afraid that if you follow your path, you won't find God. And the reason for that is because of what we believe about Jesus the Christ, what we believe about Jesus the Messiah. Nabil Qureshi, who wrote a book, Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus, this was the, the crux point for him. As he sought to find God, to find who really was the God of the creator, the, the one that was to be worshipped, what he did is he found Jesus, and he writes, if there's a litmus test between Islam and Christianity, I think it's the issue of whether Jesus died on the cross. <coughs> My friends would when we would get to this part as we're sharing the gospel with them, we would, we would be in agreement about, <coughs> excuse me, about Moses. We'd be in agreement about Adam and Eve, even David and, and others of, of the Old Testament characters. But when we would get to Jesus, this is where things would change. And when I would begin to talk to them about Jesus dying on the cross and, 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 and dying and then resurrecting from the dead, they'd say, no, no, John, you don't understand. Jesus didn't die on the cross. Instead, God, God took someone and put him in Jesus' place. And they did that because they love and they respect Jesus, a man. And they don't understand Jesus, the Christ. And this morning, I, I want to, to talk to you about the supremacy of Jesus and the importance of the supremacy of Jesus. And I want us to do it from Revelation chapter 5, so if you'd open up in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5, or if you're like most of my students back home, if you'll point in your phones to Revelation chapter 5, I'd like for us to, to look at this text this morning and see what it is that, that God has to say to us about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, and, and I'm reading to you from the Holman Christian Standard Bible um, it says this, Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on the inside and the, on the back, sealed with the seven seals. And I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll, or even to look in it. And I cried, and, and I cried, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll, or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, stop crying, look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has been victorious, 
And he may open the scrolls and its seven seals. Then I saw one. Then I saw one. Like the slaughtered lamb. Standing between the throne. And the four living creatures among the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes. Which are the seven spirits of God. Sent into all the earth. And he came. The slaughtered lamb. He came. And he took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. We look into to heaven. You know, in, in chapter 4, you have this beautiful picture of, of John as, as he enters into heaven. And, and you just have this beautiful chapter as, as he begins to describe heaven. And, and, and we see the, the first of, of the, the cries as, as they look to God and they say, Oh, Lord and, and God, you are worthy to receive glory, honor, power because you've created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. And, and we have this wonderful picture of God in heaven seated on his throne and his, his majesty and, and his greatness and we come to chapter 5 and, and we are told that there is a scroll a, sp a special scroll a sacred scroll and, and an important scroll that, that no one can even look into and they're looking for one who is worthy to look into the scroll and no one is counted as worthy now it's interesting in the beginning because in this chapter we get two contrasts and the first contrast is in verses 1 through four. And as we think about that, we, we see the, the, the glimpse. We, we look at John and, and we see, he says he saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice who is worthy. Obviously the angel unworthy to open the scroll or even look into the scroll. Now, I don't know about you, but, but when I read that passage and I think about that mighty angel, I think about this, this big seven to ten foot angel with, with huge biceps and, and great strength and, and great powers. We, we went down the beach yesterday. We ended up at the pier in, in Santa Monica and just off the pier in Santa Monica along the beach there, there are these guys and, and these ladies and and they're picking each other up and spinning each other around. And, and let me tell you, some of these guys are big. I, I, you all have been there, right? I mean, these guys are big. I mean, I'm feeling small when I'm standing next to them, right? They got these huge biceps. This one guy had this huge neck. I mean, he was just, he was a monster, right? And, and, and that's my picture of the, the angel, this, this powerful man. And, and, and with his biceps bulging and, and the muscles in his neck and and uh, just this, this mighty angel. And the mighty angel is unworthy to open the scroll. You know, in Islam, Islam looks for power. Islam looks for power. In Islam, and, and especially in the Arab world, it's about the strong man. You know, one of the interesting things in, after Arab Spring and, and the fall of the, the nations in North Africa and, and the Middle East is, is the look at the, at the strong man. And, and you start to understand a little bit about Arab culture. Now, if, you, if you'll remember, um, and I realize that some of you are, are maybe a little young to remember this, but, but in the very first desert storm, um, the, the President Bush put a line in the sand. He said, you will not cross this line. And of course, um, Saddam Hussein could not do anything but cross the line. As soon as he laid the line, he couldn't do anything but cross the line because in Islam and because in, in Middle Eastern culture, to be the man and to be the strong man says that you stand up to the oppressors as they would see it. And, and you stand up to the United States. And so he had to stand up to the United States. And, and if you'll remember, 
instead of escaping Iraq as, as he could have done, instead we find him in a hole hiding because he thought that he was the strong man and that, that eventually he would come back out. The same thing happened with uh, Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. He ends up being killed in a ditch because he was the strong man. He wouldn't humble himself to leave the country. Instead, he had to prove that he was the strong man. Because in Islam and Arab culture, it is about the strong man. It is about who is the strongest. I have a good friend. He, he's come to faith. I'll tell you more about him later. But, but he tells me that, that back home in Iraq, I, he, he's actually there right now. And I said, aren't you afraid to be there? And, and he said, no. Because I come from a strong tribe. No one messes with our tribe. We're the, we're the strong men. No, nobody messes with our tribe. And I didn't ask him any more about that. I didn't want to know anything else about that. I just knew that he came from a strong tribe and, and that he would, be, he would be all right. And that's what it's all about in Islam. Even in the religion, um, they, they divide the world. Uh, about 100 years after the death of, of Muhammad, as they were dealing with, with different precincts and, and what it meant to be a Muslim in the world, they divided the world in what was called Dar al-Islam, and Dar al-Harab. Dar al-Harab is, is the house of war. And Dar al-Salam is, is the, the countries that are dominated by Islam. So to be in the Dar al-Islam, al-Islam you had to, to be a country that was 100% Islamic. The rest of the world is Dar al-Harab, the house of war. And the whole point of Islam is to eventually create the Dar al-Islam which is the house of Islam. And, and, and the goal of Islam is to be the, it's, it's to be the ruler of the world. That's the goal of, of Islam. They are evangelistic. If you, if you meet a Muslim and spend much time with a Muslim, eventually they'll try and win you to Islam. Whenever we would, uh, we would leave on stateside, it was always funny. My, the men didn't do this, but the women would, they would invite my wife over for dinner or really it was for lunch, and they would put out this elaborate lunch, and, and they would always bring in a, a female Muslim evangelist, and, and they would sit her right next to, to my wife. You know, kind of like we do, when you have that lost friend, you know, and, and you want somebody to share the gospel with him, you invite him to lunch, and you put the best evangelist right next to him, right? Well, they get the, they get the idea, and so, so they would put this, the best Islamic evangelist right next to her, and so for the next four or five hours, she'd be sharing Islam with her, trying to get her to convert to Islam, Right? Because Islam is, a, is an evangelistic faith. It's a unique faith. It's a faith that believes that it is the only way to God ultimately. And yet it's not. Islam looks for power. In Islam, there's a lot of folk Islam in the world. And, and folk Islam is that Islam that's influenced by animism, where we used to live in the reef in, in northern Africa. Um, one of my favorite forms of power, it's all because it's all about power, who has the power. Well, women often struggle with not having power, and they get concerned about their husbands cheating on them and, and doing other types of things. And so in order to control that, what they would do is, is at night, they would send a boy out, and he would cut off a piece of donkey ear. And he'd take that donkey ear and give it to her, and then she, he was sworn to secrecy. Um, who knows what would happen to him if he ever told who he gave that donkey ear to. And she'd take that donkey ear to the, the local witch doctor, um, who was a lot of time the head of, head of the mosque. And, and he would put a curse on it. And, and, uh, and, and the idea was that, that this curse would control her husband. Well, you can imagine the next morning when all the men get up in the village and they find the donkey with his ear cut off, Right? 
every man in the city or in the, in the village was obeying his, her, his wife that week, right? Because they were scared to death that that, that might have been their wife that had placed the curse on them. So everybody was obedient. It, it actually worked quite well. Um, so in, in Islam, it's, it's about power, and, and we see that in those first verses, but we find that salvation isn't something that we can attain on our own. It's not about what we do. David Platt, when, when talking about this, he writes, The scroll contains the grand purpose of God in the world, and the silence of heaven testifies to the sinfulness of man. No one is worthy, and John is weeping. There is no hope apart from Christ. Our Muslim friends think that they can do it on their own. They they talk about the way of, of works. We'll talk more on Wednesday about the pillars of Islam. But if you practice the pillars and if you do it the right way, then you'll have this opportunity when one day you stand before God and, and your good deeds, the angel on your right shoulder has, who has been writing down your good deeds, he'll present those good deeds. The angel on your left shoulder will present the bad deeds. And, and maybe, just maybe somehow, God will have mercy on you because you had a lot of good deeds. Islam believes that it is about works, it's about what you do. It's about the mercy of God, and the mercy of God is, is something that is, 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 is not to, to really be trusted because it's, it's how God feels on that day. There's a, a fallacy in, in our world today that says that uh, suicide bombers are automatically granted admittance into heaven, and, and that's not true. They, they are accelerated, and, and they have a whole lot of good stuff, according to Islam, on their shoulder, but, but there is no promise of heaven for a Muslim in any way, shape, or form. There is never a promise of heaven for any Muslim. Because they don't understand sin. One day I was sharing with a, a friend of mine, and, and our team had been working a lot with him, and there's a guy on my, our team, his, his, his name, we'll just say is Ron, and and uh, he was good friends with, with this friend, we'll call him David. And, and uh, I was sharing with David, and I said, you know, David, we're, we're all sinners. And, and he said, well, no, not really. I said, no, no, we are. We're, we're all sinners. I'm a sinner, and you're a sinner. He said, John, you're not a sinner. I said, no, no, I am. I, I'm a sinner. I sin all the time. And he looked at me, and he said, you sin all the time. I said, yeah, I, I sin, and you sin. And, and he said, well, no, no, I, I, I don't sin very often. I said, no, you, you do. And I said, even Ron, who, who he loved, I said, even Ron sins. And he looked at me and he said, oh, no, 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 no. Ron doesn't sin. Now, it kind of struck me. He didn't say, John, no, you don't sin. I, he said, Ron didn't sin. He, he kind of took it for granted that maybe I did. I don't know. But, but Ron, he didn't sin. And I said, no, no, even, even Ron sins. You see, he had a misunderstanding of what sin was. He thought that sin was just something that you got caught at. He thought sin was just something drastic that you did, like killing someone or cheating or, or, or stealing, something along those lines. He didn't understand that sin is just simply missing the mark. It's just simply missing perfection. That's what sin is. And he didn't understand that. He didn't want to know that at that particular time. The Bible tells us that, in fact, there is no hope because of our sin. In Romans 3.23, it tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because of our sin, we fall short of the glory of God. There, there is no hope for us. 
We cannot attain perfection in and of ourselves. And Muslims cannot attain perfection. And when you get right down to it, they realize that. I remember sitting down numerous times with my friends and saying, listen, you might do a lot of really good things. And that angel is writing the good things, but can he really outdo But the angel on your left shoulder is writing down about all your evil and sinful deeds, the things that you do that people see and the things that people don't see, the things that only God sees. Can can you really do more? They would always say no. In the end, they would always say, no, I, I can't do more. Maybe God will have mercy. Now, mercy's a a funny word, isn't it? We talk about the mercy of God, the forgiveness of our sins. In fact, I had one friend who I would share the gospel with his family, and he would always translate me. I'd be sharing in Arabic, and then he would take my Arabic and put it in really good Arabic. It was really fascinating. And and I learned so much about Arabic just sharing the gospel with him because he'd take my Arabic and put it in good Arabic. And and one day I I said to him, I said, listen, you, you understand the gospel. Why don't... Why don't you want to trust Jesus? And he said, because you Christians, you say that God just forgives you and and nobody pays for that sin. And then you go out and you sin some more. He said, I don't want that. So we had to get down to the real understanding of mercy, didn't we? We had to really understand forgiveness of sins because, you see, forgiveness of sins does not come without a penalty being paid. Mercy does, is not experienced without someone receiving wrath. And so Paul says in Romans 3.23, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in Romans 6.23, he says, for the wages of sin is death. And he expounds on that in Ephesians 2. When he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, you are dead. Because the wages of your sin is death. You cannot try and do a lot of good things and hope that somehow those good things outweigh the bad or that in some way God will just be merciful to you and forget everything that you ever did wrong because you're dead in your sins. And listen, the world, whether it accepts it or not, is dead in its sin. Those 1.6, 1.7 billion Muslims are dead in their sins. They have no hope of the gospel. Because they do not understand the supremacy of Jesus the Christ. You see, there is only one who can bring forgiveness. Only one who can save. In Islam, Jesus, Isa, was a good man. He was a great man. In fact, in fact, the Quran tells us that Isa was born of a virgin. There, there was no other man on the face of the earth who's ever been born of a virgin. It says that, that he was a perfect man. He was a man who lived without sin. The Quran says that that he was a worker of miracles. And because he was such a good man, because he was such a great man, when, when the Jews and the Romans came to crucify Jesus, God stepped down and pulled Jesus out and took him to heaven and put someone else in his place. Now, the Quran doesn't say who that is, but most of your Muslim friends will say that was Judas. Who else should it be? And out of respect... For the man, they say that Jesus 
went to heaven to be with God and will one day return. And will one day return. They have great respect for Jesus the man. But they do not understand that Jesus was more than a man. That Jesus is also God. That Jesus is the incarnation of God himself. And that his purpose on this earth was not to be a prophet, but to be a savior. As John looked to Jesus, he realized that the supremacy of Jesus was not found, and even in his titles as important as they were. Look at the titles in, 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 in verse 5. And, and then one of the elders said to me, look, stop crying. The lion of the tribe of Judah in Genesis, all the way back in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, the prophecy is given and, and uh, it says, The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right is comes and the obedience of the peoples belongs to him. He's writing about Jesus here in Genesis chapter 49. It says, The root of David in Isaiah chapter 11 Isaiah chapter 11, then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding of counsel, strength, a spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Jesus is the root of David, and he is victorious in Jeremiah 23, 5. It says, the days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when I will raise up a righteous branch of David and he will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. Jesus indeed is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of David. He is the victorious one. But he is so much more than those titles. As John heard the titles given he expected to see a triumphal king walk into heaven. But in place of the triumphal king, it says, then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. Do you see the contrast? We go from a mighty angel to Jesus in his magnificent titles to not just even a lamb, but a slaughtered lamb. When we, we worked in North, North Africa every year, they have what's called the Idol Daha. It's the, it's the big sacrifice, the sacrifice when they celebrate the story of Abraham and his son. Um, they say Ishmael. We, of course, know it as, as Isaac. And, and every year they sacrifice a lamb, the lamb that took the place of the son. It was a wonderful time to tell the story and, and talk about how Jesus is the lamb, how Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, how Jesus took our place. And so I've seen lots of slaughtered lambs, and, and I want you to know that a slaughtered lamb isn't a pretty thing to see. Because when they slaughter a lamb, they, they slit the throat because they have to get the blood out. And we know that Jesus' death on the cross wasn't a pretty thing. Jesus was hung on the cross, bleeding and broken and dying. Jesus was hung there on the cross, as a suffering lamb. He was marred. He was despised. He was rejected. He was stricken. He was smitten. He was afflicted. He was wounded. He was chastised. He was oppressed. He was pulverized in our place. 
and all who hide under the banner of his blood will be saved. The Lamb of God not only endured death in our place, but he's defeated death by his power. Jesus was crucified, he was sacrificed, he bore our sins. In fact, just the other day, H.B. Charles was in our chapel service and he preached and he, he said that Jesus became the greatest of all sinners. And, and he said that and I thought, now wait, wait, Jesus, Jesus was perfect. How did he become the greatest of all sinners? And he went on and he said, Jesus bore all of our sin on himself. Thereby becoming the greatest of sinners, bearing every evil act we've ever done upon ourselves, upon himself. And he became the greatest of sinners, destroying sin and death. Jesus bears the scars of our death, yet he is sovereign over death. Paul writes, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The, sin, the, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. In Islam, there is no lamb. In Islam, there is no hope. In Islam, there is no cross. There is no resurrection. There is no salvation. It is only found in Jesus the Christ. My friend that I was sharing about sin with, we shared with him for years always getting a little bit further in the gospel, always sharing some more stories, always talking about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. I remember one day we were talking and, and I said to him, you know, Jesus, he, he died on the cross for your sins. And normally he would say, no, John, Jesus didn't die. He was, he was replaced by someone else. You know that. I'd say, no, no, Jesus died on the cross. And, and one day he, he said to me, after I shared that, he said, you know, I think you're right, John. I think Jesus did suffer on the cross for our sins. I said, yes, that's right. And he didn't just suffer, he died. And he said, no, 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 he couldn't have died. Jesus, God wouldn't have allowed him to die. He just suffered. And I said, no, no, Jesus died. And we continued to share, and a few months went by. He said, you know what, John? I think you're right. I think Jesus suffered on the cross for my sins. And I think Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I said, oh, that, that is so sweet. That is so good. I am so glad to hear that. And then he said, and you know, Jesus and Muhammad, they were both great prophets. And I said, oh, almost. And so we kept sharing with them about the supremacy of Jesus the Christ until that day when he said, you know what? Jesus suffered on the cross for my sins. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Jesus conquered death by raising from the dead. And Jesus and Muhammad, they are not the same. For Jesus is God. And then salvation touched that man. Because now he understood that Jesus was not just a man. But Jesus is the Christ. He is the God. He is the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me.
There are 1.6, 1.7 billion Muslims who need to know about the supremacy of Jesus the Christ. The text ends and says, He took the, thor- the scroll, the four living creatures, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slaughtered. You redeemed people from God by your blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God And they will reign on earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne. And also the living creatures and of the elders. And their number was countless thousands plus thousands and thousands. And they said with a loud voice, The lamb who was slaughtered is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The lamb. I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and everything in them saying blessing and honor and glory and dominion to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. One day every creature on the face of this earth will recognize that Jesus is God, that Jesus is worthy. And won't some from that 1.6 billion people know That Jesus is worthy before the end, before they die, so that they experience salvation. And won't it happen because you went? Because you shared Jesus with that Muslim family, that Muslim neighborhood, in that Muslim town, in that Muslim nation. Let's pray. Father, oh God, we pray for the billions that do not know you. They are lost and hurting because they do not understand that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. God, we have that privilege. We have that understanding. May we not take it for granted. May we recognize the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And may we take him to the nations. In your name we pray. Amen.